0: Church family, um, would you turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3? I'm going to speak for a couple of minutes before I start to read the text, but I'd like us to be there uh, and ready to read Ephesians chapter 3. If you're newer to the Bible, it's after the Gospels and after Acts in the New Testament. And interestingly, by way of background, um, because I'm going to talk for a minute about last week's sermon, this is the congregation that Timothy was serving, where Paul's writing this letter. So, last week, we heard that when uh, God wants to do something on the earth, one of the ways he begins to do that is to speak about it. He gives prophetic words that he intends to shape the future as people receive them and begin to cooperate with them. So God wanted to do something in and through the person of Timothy to advance his purposes. He wanted Timothy to be an evangelist and a leader, and God called him in. And he said, "I'm." he set him apart in a meeting. When the body of elders laid their hands on him and prophesied over him and prayed for him. And then Timothy had to step in to the prophecy or to its fulfillment by beginning to offer himself in various leadership situations over and over and over. And when it got real difficult, Paul said to him, he wrote him a letter and he said, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command. Stay there in Ephesus in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by them you'll be able to hold on to faith and a good conscience and that's not the faith he talked about some people shipwrecking the faith that's faith in the word of god god spoke tim timothy god said to you he wants you to be a leader It's calling you to be an evangelist. You got to step in. You got to keep doing the work when it's hard. You got to trust that God said it, and so God wants to do it. And so we saw that there's this dynamic of divine human cooperation at work where God gives words, but we've got to receive them. And we said that's why we test prophecy. Because I didn't say this last week, but there is no neutral ground. When a prophetic word is given, you cannot kind of stand back. And cross your arms and go well I'll just I'll just wait and see that's not testing that's not obedience to the scriptures that's a that's a disinvolvement that's a standing back that doesn't honor the fact that God may be speaking so we test everything to find out if he is speaking. And the scriptures say, if it's not him, get rid of it. If it is, hold on to it. Hold on to the good. And so Paul's saying to Timothy, hey, God spoke. You know it was him. He called you. And so you got to live in accordance with it. And then we said together, hey, church family, God spoke. I want to bring a mighty river of Revival that will sweep out into the city and even the nations that will draw many into the kingdom of God. And we said, we've got to receive that word from the Lord. Remember, it was tested by the elders when it was given. We've got to receive it now as a whole congregation and start to offer ourselves to the Lord intentionally in accordance with it. And so how do we begin to do that? How do we offer? I said last week, we're not going to get into the particulars. Well, now we'll begin. How do we offer ourselves to the Lord in accordance with the word that he said? I want to pour out my Holy Spirit to draw many people into the kingdom of God. Well, let me switch analogies. We're talking about a river, but let me switch to fire because fire is also a a Holy Spirit analogy. Okay, so let's go to the back to the Old Testament for a minute and think about the prophet Elijah. Elijah was called by God to see an advance of the kingdom of God in the face of idolatry. So what did he do? He called out the false prophets. He said, you gather, you come, we'll see who's God. And he built an altar. You know the story? Remember the story? If you don't know the story, he built an altar. He he um put a sacrifice on top of it and then he flooded it with water over and over and over again and then he challenged the prophets of Baal to do the same call onto their onto their god they did so all day nothing happened but I, Elijah called on the name of the Lord and what happened fire came from heaven and burned up the sacrifice now what can we learn from that whose role is it to bring the fire gods. What's our role? Prepare the altar. Prepare the altar for the fire of God to fall. So that's what we're going to begin thinking about. And I think Jackie's word is a part of that preparing the altar, the tearing down of idols. But what else can what else does the scripture say to us about preparing an altar for the fire of God to fall? Well, let me, let me ask you this, and I'll, I'd like an answer. What is our first work in the kingdom of God? What's the first thing that we're called to as we work with the Lord? Just shout it out if you think you've got it, and don't be afraid of being wrong. That's the greatest command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What's the first Work, the first way that command begins to get worked out. Who said pray? Pray. Yes, pray! Jesus said to his disciples, look, the harvest fields are ripe. They're ready for the picking. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into the harvest field. In other words, there is a revival waiting to happen. There is a whole group of people, says Jesus, that are ready for the picking. God the Father wants that group of people to come in, disciples. And so what do you need to do? Don't first go. First thing you got to do is ask the Lord of the harvest to bring in laborers to go get that harvest. Okay, so Jesus says the first thing you do, the first work is prayer. So we're going to begin to look at the scriptures now and say, what what can we see in terms of guidance about how we as a church are called to pray? And I want to say to you, this is a call on all of us. Nick Vanderplug's not here this morning, but he's been sharing over email that the Lord's been speaking to him as he prays about the sword of the Spirit for a number of weeks, and he just shared He said, I sense that for revival to come, the Lord is saying my whole church needs to pray. My whole church. So this can take many different forms. This isn't just noon prayer and Thursday morning early revival prayer. This is in our homes. This is in small groups. This is in many different ways. But the whole church is called to pray. And so we just want to we're going to testify to each other as we testify. How's the Lord moving you to pray? How's he working through your prayers? How's he guiding you? And I'm going to start us off this morning. But Paul's going to start us off this morning from Ephesians. Here's where we start with prayer. So Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to begin at verse 7. Paul says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me. Through the working of his power. Although I'm less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to His eternal purpose that He accomplished in Messiah, Jesus our Lord. In Him, and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you... Therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. of all the fullness of God. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. The word of God. Yes, thanks be to God. So I want to begin uh, sharing a story that some of you might remember me sharing quite a number of years ago, but it's uh, such a good story. It bears repeating. It's the story of one of my favorite um, parents of the faith, and his name is Father Damien. Father Damien was uh, born in Tremeloo, Belgium, to... Uh, the DeWooster family. He was a sixth child and um, had a real happy childhood. And as was the case when it, time came for him to go off to study, which he was able to do, his dad chose for him what he was going to study. And his dad just decided he was going to be a merchant. So he went off to school to study to be a merchant, and he studied diligently. But he was actually quite miserable as he studied. And so he began to send a series of letters home to his dad requesting, could he please, please enter religious studies, like his older brother, Pamphile?" Finally, after a while, his dad uh, acquiesced and said, "Okay, you can go. And so Damien entered the monastery, the same monastery that his brother Pamphil was at. And he just threw himself into monastic life and studies. Well, after he's there for a little while, a bishop comes to visit the monastery. And he says, listen, there are a number of priests that are going to be needed in the islands of the South Seas, which we now call the Hawaiian Islands. And the moment he said that, Damien and Pamphile both had this, I want to go, rise up in them. And they started praying and planning and praying and planning. And a number of months later, up goes the list of 10 people who are going to go. And Pamphile's name is on it, but Damien's isn't. He's kind of crushed. Well, then typhus hits the community. And Pamphile is um, not killed, but he's horribly weakened. And so Damien's allowed to go in his place. And so he goes and he's assigned to the big island of Hawaii and he he uh, he gets there. He begins his ministry and he um, his love for his congregants just becomes legendary. So this man builds churches with his like cuts down trees, builds buildings for churches, travels dozens and hundreds of miles through tropical rainforest and mountainous territory just to serve communion to people in far-off communities. I mean, he loves his congregants. And he serves two separate parishes. It's a really big island over the course of 12 years. And then at the 12-year mark, a bishop comes for a routine visit. But this time he gathers all of the priests from all the islands together, and he begins to explain to them that there's a situation that's developing, which they're aware of. And that is that there's an outbreak of leprosy on the on the islands. Well, what what they're doing, he says, to deal with the outbreak is now they're forcibly rounding up anyone who's been shown to have contracted leprosy. Child, parent, grandparent, husband, wife, they're separating them, tearing them apart from their families, herding them onto ships and they're dropping them off on this island called Molokai for them to live out the rest of their life in isolation. And the the bishop says, look, the thing that's changed is that while priests used to be able to go and visit, now the Ministry of Health is saying anybody who sets foot on that island cannot leave. And he says, I, I can't. His voice starts to change and he says, I, I can't bring Any one of you, I can't force any one of you to go there. And he he just gets that sentence out and Damien jumps up and he says, please send me. Let me go. Let me go. And so with tears in his eyes, the bishop says, "Okay, you may go. And so Damien gets on a ship and he goes to Molokai and when he lands there, he finds this island is in utter chaos there's no running water. There's no permanent shelters. Everybody is so depressed and distressed and uh, just torn apart from having been torn apart that they're literally living wild in every way you can imagine. They're making cheap liquor and and just living drunk. Everybody's sleeping with everybody. It is absolutely crazy. And Damien steps in and he just single-handedly starts to take over leading the community. He goes To the far side of the island, he finds a source of fresh water. He starts to build places for them to live in. He starts to combat those who are making the cheap liquor. He starts to confront those who are sleeping around and telling them not to live like that. But most of all, he starts to bandage everybody's wounds. Without any fear, he goes day after day and he changes the bandage of every leper on that island. Daily, Even though he can barely stomach the smell of the stench. He buries every person who dies. And for two years, he buries an average of one person a day. He sends an unceasing string of letters back to the big island asking for help and for supplies. He builds a clinic. He builds a church. And through him, the body of Christ is built week after week, year after year, until at one point, after about a dozen years or so, he stands in front of his congregation. And instead of addressing them as he normally does by saying, brothers and sisters, he begins by saying, we lepers We lepers. Damien, who came and Damien who served so eagerly, was one of them. And that's how he died. A disfigured 49-year-old man living and serving his friends. Lepers. Damien did not shrink back, but laid down his life for those whom he loved. Friends, we were those lepers. We were those lepers. We, we were rotting. We were rotting from the inside out. With selfishness, with pride, lust, greed. Things that we couldn't put an end to, but that brought a great and mighty stench. We were those lepers. Living wild. Living without water. Of life. We were them. That's us. And Jesus Christ came. And he said, I'll go. Send me. And he did not shrink back. He came and he said, I'll touch you. I'll bandage you. I'll provide for you. I'll show you the way. I'll bring the water. I'll set up a community through me. I'll become one of you. I'll take what you have. It'll become mine. I'll become sin. On your behalf. And he laid down his life that we might live. Jesus loved so much that he laid down his life. He's a laid down lover, to borrow a term I quoted a few weeks ago from Heidi Baker. He's a laid-down lover. Just like him, Damien was a laid-down lover. What does this have to do with Paul and his prayer and revival? Well, what I want you to hear is Paul begins his prayer with the words, for this reason. You guys say, what? What reason? What are you talking about, Paul? Why are you praying this prayer? Well, Paul says earlier, I'm called to make the administration of God's grace known to the Gentile world. I'm called to bring this gospel message. This is my calling. I'm called to have a harvest. I'm called to revival. And because I'm called to that, and because we can approach God with freedom and confidence, this is what I'm doing. I'm praying for you all. I'm praying for you all to get so strengthened by the love of God. I'm praying for the dynamic, powerful work of the Holy Spirit in your hearts so that you all would be rooted and established in the love of God. I'm asking him to work so that you are powerfully planted in love. Three times he uses the word power in this prayer. And every time that power is directed at love. Going deeper in love. I pray that he'd strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you, what's what happens when Christ dwells in your heart through faith? That you being rooted and established in love would have power again together with all of the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is this love which knows no bounds. Which knows no bounds. And to know this love That surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This word know that he says. It means. Be aware of. Perceive. Feel. And oh, by the way, it's also the Jewish idiom for sexual intercourse. I want you, says Paul, I'm praying for the Holy Spirit to so work in you that you become so intimate with the love that Jesus Christ has for you. You know it so deeply. It fills you so completely, even though you can't know it fully, it's beyond knowing I want you to be so overcome by it that you get filled up beyond the measure. You get filled full. You get filled till you're flowing over. You get so full that nothing comes out of you but Jesus' love. That's what I'm praying for, says Paul. In other words, he says, I'm asking God because I've got a calling God wants to bring a harvest. I can approach him with freedom and confidence. I'm asking God for the powerful, dynamic action of his spirit to make, to help you know his love so intimately that y'all are so full that God's flooding out of you. How do we get a river of revival? We pray for the river to fill us. We pray for the river to fill us. I find it so interesting that Paul writes this to the church. These people are in Christ. These people know the love of God. They have heard the gospel message. They have responded to the gospel message. They are a part of the body of Jesus Christ. They know. You can know something and you can know something. Huh? You know what I'm talking about? You can know something and you can know something. And so what do you do when you can know something and you can know something? And then Paul says to you, I pray that you would know this thing that's beyond knowing. Paul's praying for a kind of knowing that we can't get by speaking or hearing or information. You understand that? He's praying for encounter with the love of God. And he's doing this from firsthand experience. You know, he's doing this out of his own story. This is a man who got, got knocked backwards By the love of God was running away, working against, was proud, was self-righteous, was, was persecuting and got stopped in his tracks and he didn't get scolded. He didn't get shamed. He didn't get punished. He instead, he got a, a calling and a commission. He got this incredible, precious, sacred. Role. I've chosen you to take my name. Me? Who am I? Me? Can you imagine him? I mean, those three days after he got knocked off his horse and he's blind and he's going, what do I do with this? Like, if you're really Lord, you should have smoked me. You should have killed me there. You should have judged me. I should be done. I can't. I don't. Like he means it when he says, I am the least, I'm beyond the least of all God's people. He knows his own heart. And yet God didn't give him information. He gave him, he gave him that too. He gave him an encounter of the profound depth of his grace. I see you. I know you at the worst that you are. And I call you mine. Mine. I say, come, you're my beloved. I've got a role for you in my kingdom. We're going to work together. You're going to take my name to other people. That's not just information. That's an encounter with love. And Paul's saying to the Ephesians, I pray. This is this is the first thing he's doing. I, you, you watch him. He prays for all the churches. Every letter's got a prayer. Always. And he's saying, I pray that God brings you that, that, that the that the Holy Spirit works dynamically in your hearts to bring you an encounter with this kind of love so that you're so full that then what happens then what happens is the now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations. This isn't just him sort of spouting off a doxology because. This is him saying this is what happens when the community of God's people get encountered by the love of Jesus Christ radically and deeply and fully. And they're flowing. They're brimming over with that love. Jesus gets glorified. More than we can ask or imagine. So, church family, I'm going to end here, or we're going to end here. This is where we can begin praying for ourselves. We've got, we got to have no shame in saying, Lord, I need more. I need you to reveal more of your love. Your love drives out fear. So, the fear of man that we were praying about, when the, the love of the Lord takes root and overcomes, it pushes out that fear. When we get so consumed with the beauty of Jesus the goodness of the Lord, we stop being afraid. Obedience flows out. We naturally speak. We naturally call. We naturally lay down our lives. Nobody had to tell Father Damien, go, you know, it would be a really good idea if you, if you did this. You know, it would be really good duty to the Lord. This isn't the land of duty that we're talking about. Duty is good and it's right and it has a place in faithful Christian service. But duty will only take you so far. Duty will not take you where love will take you. Love will take you to laying down your life. And so if you're hearing what I'm saying this morning, if it's in any way feeling like a command or heavy or like something you can't fulfill, it's not, You're not. that's not from the Lord. The Lord's calling us to get so filled with his love that we just go, Lord, you are worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all. For from you are all things, and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. Use my life, Lord. Take my life, Lord. I lay it down. And Lord, I give it to you each day afresh. This needs to be stirred up every day afresh. Every morning I need to encounter the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every morning I need to come before the radical nature of his love because the world won't tell it to me. The world doesn't have it. And everything my senses see tells me opposite it. But when in the eyes of my mind I see the Lord, his love compels me. David says, I set the Lord ever before me. That's what he says in the Psalms. He doesn't mean he's taken God and put him somewhere. He means in the eyes of my heart, I've lifted him up and I've got that goodness of the Lord, the covenant kindness and mercy of the Lord ever before me. And that's what enables me to lay my life down in the way he was. Duty will only take you so far. Love will take you. To lay down your life. And the Lord's saying, I want to love you. I want to encounter you. I want to. There are depths of receiving my love that you know not yet of. Even you, though you've walked with me decades. I have more for you. So that I can do more through you. But first, you've got to come to me. And receive. 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 Let me kindle the fire of my love in you and for you. And let me kindle the fire of my love for the world in your heart too. So uh, let's, let's end by transitioning into prayer and I'm going to ask the Lord to do what Paul said. I'm going to ask him. I'll just ask him. Let's, let's transition. Jesus, you are worthy of it all. From now till forever, we long to lift you up in the way that they do in Revelations. The angels before your throne, those who see you, they bow and they worship and they pour out their affections because of your goodness. You are so lovely, Lord. Who can conceive of the depth of love that compels one who created all things? And deserves all glory and obedience to give it up, to enter in, to suffer humiliation and rejection and abuse for the ones you made. For the sole purpose of drawing them back, healing them. Restoring and creating a community of love. Lord, you are so, so good. And Lord, you do what you did for Paul over and over and over. You did it for Mary full of seven demons and you came and you just drove them out, 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 out. And she responded by pouring out the oil, the ointment on you because she had this experience, this encounter with your love. And God, we thank you that every one of us here knows you. I believe we all know you. And I thank you that you know us intimately. And as Paul prayed, there's, he, he longed to know as he was known. Lord, we long to know you more deeply. We long to be conduits of your love. We do long to see a harvest. But you're calling us to pray for ourselves and our community first to be full. And so, just as Paul did, Father, we too ask you for the dynamic Powerful work of your Holy Spirit in our hearts, in our inner beings, to strengthen Jesus and his love in us, to root us more deeply, also to take us to this place where we almost get lost in an ocean. It's like in the same way that none of us could ever swim the depth of any of the oceans of the world we just can't plumb the depth of your love and that's not an idea you're a person you're a person who cares and so lord would you just even right now begin to do that in our midst more lord that if there's any places where any of us are still trying to measure up or to be worthy or to that you just would you'd bring a peaceful release. you'd help us to trust. If there's places in our hearts that are walled off from receiving love because we've been hurt in human relationships, Lord, I ask that you would heal and you'd open those places to receive and to trust your love Lord if there's places in us that are kept from you because we're giving them to other things or to other people I pray that you'd reveal those bringing to mind the scripture, He will quiet you with His love. And I believe that there's a number of us who struggle with anxiety and with worry. And the Lord is wanting to quiet us with His love. But I pray that in the days and the weeks to come that you would somehow creatively take each of us, perhaps in our mind's eye in the place of prayer, to the experience that individual lepers had at the hand of Father Damien, where he came, You came through him, and you touched what they probably didn't want to show, and you, you cared, you wrapped, you healed, you overwhelmed with your love. Lord, we we do pray together as a church. That you would consume us with your love. It it feels to me like a a dangerous prayer. Um, except that you won't let us drown. In this, in the way, if we jumped into an ocean, we'd not be able to hold ourselves up. But in Your love, You won't let us drown, even as You overwhelm us with Your heart for the world. And so, Father, we invite You to to impart to us Your heart your heart for us and your heart for the world. Lord, is this bring to my mind the way in which often when a young man and a young woman are getting to know each other and preparing for marriage, there's this fixation that sort of takes over where they occupy each other's thoughts all the time to the point of distraction and i sense the lord saying i want this with you i want i want to be i want my love i want your pleasure in me and mine in you to be so consuming i don't want to be occasionally in your thoughts Lord, would you do that? Would you do that? We invite you to. Lord, I pray for a special grace for the, the analytics among whom I name myself among us. Lord, to to learn communion with you in a deeper way. Lord, you've called us to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And um, some of us, myself included, we need a little help with soul. And heart. Would you help us, Lord, give us the grace, the grace for more communion without analyzing? Not that we turn our minds off. But Lord, it's you're one with us, it's an incredible mystery. Lord, as we, we're just so we're just so aware, Lord, that this isn't this this encounter with your love isn't something that we can manufacture or make happen, nor stir up within our own hearts. It's your work. It's your work. And yet you've called us to pray for it. And so we ask you in faith and we pray. We pray, Lord, that you would sustain us in prayer and that you would bring the the heart transformation, the heart strengthening, the encounter that you desire and we do with you. And, Lord, we, we just celebrate that you who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion. We pray this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together and sing the power of your love.